this is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing. So on this episode, we have Jeff Wedig of the Shooting the Breeze Sailing Podcast on, and we hear about his background sailing. That music was from Cayo Largo, Cuba in Playa Serena, you just heard. We quit Cayo Largo, Cuba uh, about five days ago, and we had four days and four nights sailing the beautiful blue Caribbean Sea. I thought it was going to be a piece of cake passage personally, and I was wrong. It was it was okay. We did pick kind of lighter winds, lighter swell window, but the Caribbean Sea, that trade wind, it's coming from the east, and it's coming relentlessly. And so we were healed over, you know, 10 15%, even if we weren't close hauled, because we had beam on seas. And so... It, you know, I'd been in passages where it was hard to move around the boat. This is kind of one of those. It wasn't awful. You know, maybe we had over two meter waves when we were very close to Grand Cayman. Yeah, it was about that time I said, okay, I'm putting on the scopolamine because I was not expecting much. And so I would have put on uh, the seasickness patch early had I expected, you know, kind of a little rougher seas, but I wasn't expecting that. It was it was a good passage, um, but it you know it wasn't easy. I would say it was more kind of an endurance challenge. Uh, you know, uh, there there are a few things that went wrong in the passage. Uh, my uh, I have the jerry cans tied up to a board, and one of my boards broke. Uh, one of my boards is kind of thicker than the other one. Both got them at Home Depot. But for some reason, I got a smaller board, starboard side, the second board, and that one kind of is not strong enough. I saw it bending earlier as we made our way in the Gulf of Bontabano, and that one cracked, so we ended up having to haul the jerry cans back into the cockpit, and uh, that's where we kind of stored four of them, and we had four on each side. Uh, then... Uh, Another thing kind of freaked me out, but I think it was okay. It made made intuitive sense. And I'll, I guess I'll try to get feedback from you guys on my Facebook page about this. The probably 400 miles in, we had uh, we we had been for 400 miles. We had full sail out, full Genoa, full main, uh, close hauled or beam reaching. With all the wind on the the port side, the starboard side was the leeward side, which was down. So the I noticed at mile 400, about basically in the middle of nowhere, with you know maybe the closest land Honduras, almost 100 miles away, or maybe the closest land was Providencia, and I noticed that the middle upper shroud was bobbing around just like the spreader halyard it was just moving completely loose completely loose now 
the working side obviously would be the port side, the windward side, and the the other side should be loose. So uh, it kind of freaked me out. So we rolled in the Genoa, and then it tightened up a little bit more, and we kind of motor sailed more than uh, sailed. Uh, we were worried we wouldn't get into Providencia in t- uh, in before darkness, and so we were happy that we were able to throw off the adverse current that had been really dragging down our speed um, ever since we left Grand Cayman. So we we were supposed to have a half knot adverse current, but at times it was a knot or more, especially as we kind of rounded the bend of Nicaragua and Honduras. Uh, it was it was in the Nicaraguan rise where they have really shallow waters in the Caribbean. It was it was a pretty bad but Thankfully, towards the end of the last day, it lifted, and that allowed us to get into beautiful Providencia, which is a it's it looks like a volcanic island to me. It's got very high peaks, several high peaks. It's uh, it's also right next to this small island, Santa Catalina Island, and that's where the uh, sailboats anchor between Santa Catalina Island, uh, which has a bridge to Providencia, footbridge and uh, Providencia, the bigger island. So I think Providencia is maybe four by two and a half, and Santa Catalina is less than a a mile square. And much to my surprise, if you listen to episode three with Tate McDaniel, he talked about their visit to Providencia, and he was like, they were the only boat there in the harbor. That was not the case for us. We came in the harbor, and there were 11 boats, so... We made it 12, and another boat came in behind us. And so we anchored first at the spot, which I thought was not in the channel, but the uh, Colombian, I don't know, Coast Guard or maybe the Port Authority here in Providencia found us in our dinghies, and they had us move the boat. And we ended up moving really close to the dinghy dock and the municipal building, which may have been a blessing in disguise because that was really the only spot we could find uh, in this anchorage between Santa Catalina Island and Providencia, where you have uh, 270-degree protection. And we anchored pretty close to the commercial pier and kind of in front of everybody, and the... We actually get some Wi-Fi from the boat, uh, some free public Wi-Fi from the boat, and we're just, you know, uh, easy swim to the dinghy dock if you want to swim. But So it's looking pretty good. We're going to hopefully get our passports tonight. The the agent didn't want to check us in late yesterday, and so we'll see how that goes. They seem pretty relaxed about having dogs here. I spent a lot of time worrying about what the situation would be for a dog, and he didn't want to see any paperwork on our dog, and so I think that, and I don't think they charged us for it or anything, so I think that's pretty cool about if you have pets visiting Columbia, it might be pretty easy. Let's have a quick word from our sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Jennifer Clark's Gulfstream. Satellite oceanographer Jennifer Clark and professional meteorologist Dane Clark have over 35 years of experience helping sailors on blue water voyages. Their current charts, crossing waypoints, and personalized weather advice help sailors take advantage of favorable currents and minimize the impact of unfavorable ones. A link to their website, their email address, 
and their phone number are in the show notes. All right, so I'll tell you a little bit about uh, our passage, what we're going to do in Providencia, and the next leg of the trip, and probably when we'll start it in the second half. But let's hear from Jeffrey Wedig of theescapepods.com, Shooting the Breeze Sailing Podcast. So, hey, Jeff, it's great to have you on the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Anyways, those podcasters have to stick together. That's right. (laughs) So much, man. This is awesome. It's great to have you. So tell me about when did you start sailing? I started back in 2002. A friend of mine that I worked with, you know, I kind of had a vacation over like 4th of July, and I was kind of complaining, you know, ah, I don't have any money. I can't, like, go on a real vacation. So I was talking about going maybe camping, and I was like, you know, I want to get down towards the Chesapeake Bay because I never get down there, and maybe I can find a place that will rent some kayaks or something like that. And I'd known this guy for, like, a year, year and a half because I had just switched jobs and didn't really know anything that much about him. You know, we'd talk and hung out, but he's like, dude, he's like, I got a sailboat down in the Chesapeake. Why don't you come down with me? We'll go for a trip down to Annapolis or something like that. And I'm like, wow, okay, you know, how big is this boat? <laughs> You know, we're all kind of blue collar guys here. You know, I'm thinking this thing's got to be like a a yacht, you know. And uh, it was funny because I was like, sure, you know, no problem. And uh, we drove down on a Saturday morning and I brought a friend of mine that actually lived in Annapolis. I went down, picked him up, brought him back. And we were going to sail down to Annapolis and then drop him off so he'd go back to work. And uh, my friend had a uh, 26 McGregor. So to me, it was like, wow, this thing's awesome, you know. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, we took off, uh, did a two-day trip down to Annapolis, dropped my buddy off, and actually Chris, my kind of co-host on the podcast, dropped him off, and then we turned around, and we didn't do much sail on the way back, because, you know, it was like 95 degrees and hot and no wind and that kind of thing, but uh, the sailing down was great, and it was funny, I just was touring around a couple months ago looking through some old videos, had no concept that I had even had video camera on this trip, and here I found 15 minutes of video from the first two days of that trip. So it was kind of cool. Now, how many boats have you owned since then? You bought a boat pretty soon after that or not really? Yeah, it was, uh, I think, two summers after that. So I went down with him on that trip. He belonged to uh, this yacht club. It's down in northeast Maryland called Hanses Point, which is why I ultimately ended up joining. But it's about an hour from Lancaster, PA, which is where I grew up and where I was living at the time. Uh, So that following year, I went down with him, I think, twice, just kind of like for an afternoon, you know, that type of thing. And then what sealed the deal was uh, in 2004, he's like, come on down for the weekend. We're going to this island and we're going to have a party, you know. And I'm like, wow, island party. (laughs) You know, and I'm thinking, you know, palm trees and sand, you know, the whole nine yards. And it was actually kind of chilly that day. It was in August. Uh, but we had good wind. And what really kind of stuck with me was uh, we got out to his boat, and we literally just sailed off the mooring, sailed down to uh, down the Northeast River, out into the main part of the bay. And then we cut over towards Havre de Grace, Maryland, which is where the Susquehanna River comes out. And there's an island there called Sand Island. And it's one of these things that doesn't really exist. Like, nobody owns it. It's just kind of there. A bunch of people that he knew, other friends from the Yacht Club, a couple people brought out a pontoon boat, coolers everywhere, big bonfire, you know, grills going, the whole nine yards. And we literally just sailed up the island, dropped the hook, 
you know, took our dinghy over to the island and spent that whole night down on the island. Woke up the next day, you know, had breakfast, kind of spent the morning sitting around in the sun, and then we sailed back and sailed on the morning. So we didn't even use a motor the whole entire time, and I was just like flabbergasted. I'm like, this is so cool, you know. And that was what did it. You know, about I spent the next month after that looking at boats on eBay and Craigslist and. Ended up finding a McGregor 25 uh, that I bought, and unfortunately, it was in West Virginia. I had to drive down and pick it up, and it was a long, long 12-hour day trailering that thing home, and didn't know anything about it, and the guy that I bought it from didn't know anything about it, so I spent that whole off-season, then in 2004 and in 2005, kind of trying to figure it out. You know, I put it in my grandfather's backyard, and had my buddy Tom that got me into it come over and you know, we're sitting there trying to figure out how the blocks go and where those sheets go and putting the sails up and taking them down and putting the mast up, putting it down, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then what I didn't know is that was like September. In October, November, my buddy Tom, who had the, the McGregor 26, ended up selling the, his 26 and buying a, uh, bought a Bristol 29.9, which is an awesome boat. But I'm like, dude, <laughs> you should have told me you were selling yours. I would have just bought yours. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it was kind of trial by fire on on boat maintenance and trying to figure things out you know oh <laughs> that is poor timing yeah and I, I think some of us all kind of go through that stage where we don't know anything and we got to learn how to do it all but it would have been so great to have a boat that you know he knows everything about it he could have just been like oh yeah do this do that whatever yeah so that's kind of what i ended up with uh i had that boat for four years that was kind of like my training wheels boat, you know what I mean? It, it was good for a, a weekend outings and even just coming down and hanging out on the hook. It was kind of like, you know, your little piece of real estate on the Chesapeake Bay, you know. It was great because if I did break something, it was no big deal, you know. It's like buying a starter car for your high school kid, you know. It's like, oh, they, they bend in the bumper. It's no big deal, you know. How much did you uh, buy it for? It just under 3000 It was like $2,800. And that included the trailer? That was the trailer and all that stuff, which kind of figures in here because uh, after the fourth year, there was this old guy at the club that I belonged to, and he was like in his 80s. He had beat cancer or whatever, and I guess his wife was like, you know what? We're moving to Florida. You need to sell that boat. And he had a South Coast Seacraft 26, which kind of uh, goes into where you're located down in Louisiana. I think they were built in if not Louisiana, I think it was Shreveport, but I'm not 100% certain. But if you Google Pacific, uh, South Coast Seacraft, uh, they were active through the late 70s into the early 80s, and they had built a 26. And so this boat, to me, because I was going from an old McGregor 25 to the, the 26, it was like stand-up headroom. You know, it had like a big icebox. It had a drop keel. It it just felt like a bigger RV, I guess. <laughs> and the price was right. You know, this guy was like walking around the yard going, hey, anybody want to buy a boat? Anybody want to buy a boat? You know, and I had been talking about it. And my friend at the time that I was sailing with, he's like, dude, this old guy over here is trying to sell a boat. You know, and I'm like, oh, I got, you know, 50 cents to my name. I don't I don't have any business buying a boat, but, you know, I'll appease the old guy. I'll go look at it. The more I looked at it, he wanted like $1,000 for it. I was like, this thing's like my boat, but better. And I can 
sell mine for more, you know, kind of maybe make some money at this. <laughs> and I actually did. It, it kind of worked out. You know, nobody makes money buying boats. And I, you know, read your book, but you what, got 50% uh, return on your uh, injury holder, right? <laughs> A negative 50% return. <laughs> 50%, right. Uh, this, I bought this boat, and it was a kind of a big screw around, you know, like, you know, the guy, guy ended up uh, charging me for the, uh, you know, the jack stands. He's like, well, those weren't part of the deal after I said I was going to buy it. And I'm like, dude, you know, the little piece of paper I just signed is said boat and all accessories, you know, he's like, well, those aren't my stands, you know, whatever. What do you want for him? You know, so I ended up paying, I think, 1250 bucks for this boat and uh, ended up selling my uh, McGregor 25 mainly because of the trailer person that ended up buying it was from Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. He was looking for a, a day sailor that he could trailer back and forth. And he had been looking at McGregor 26s. The problem was all the McGregors that were made like in the eighties, whatever trailers they were using apparently were not holding up very well. And even though mine was a 72, it was like one of the first McGregors made the trailer was almost in immaculate shape. And to be honest with you, he told me at the end, after we did the deal, he's like, that's what sold it, was the trailer. <laughs> it was like, all right, you know. And I ended up selling it for exactly what I bought it for. So it was like $28.95. So I had put in, uh, you know, maybe 1000 or $2,000 in the four years I had it. You know, I upgraded the, the outboard motor and, and did some, you know, modifications here and there. But all told, I ended up breaking even on that boat for sale price anyway. And having bought just a $1,250 boat, you know, I was like, well, that seems like a pretty good deal. And I came out with a better boat. So I did that uh, South Coast Seacraft for a year. It was really only one season. Had it out. It was great. You know, it was kind of a funky looking boat. It wasn't, it had like a big wooden tiller that had little notches in it. You could lift it up and down. It kind of looked kind of, kind of weird as if you're looking at like a modern boat. And then you look at that thing, it's like wow, scratching your head going, what's that? What's all that about? You know? But it was more comfortable, way more comfortable than uh, the, the McGregor was, and it sailed pretty good. It had Hank on main or Hank on jib and a short little main, and it, you know it, until it got up until you know twenty twenty five knots, it got a little hairy because it didn't have any reef points or anything like that. But it did great for for a season, you know, bouncing around the, the upper part of the Chesapeake Bay, and it just so happened the following year. Uh, a guy that I sailed with down there had a pace ship 26 that we all kind of admired because he was winning all the Wednesday night races. He had this thing kept up immaculate. He's, he's a tinkerer, you know, he, he was playing with everything. And he basically said, you know what, I had to build a spice rack and that was the last project I could think of. <laughs> he said, after the spice rack was done, I needed to get another boat because I needed something else to do, you know. So he wanted to go bigger, and he ended up buying an Ericsson 32. And so this uh, Pace Ship 26 named Pegasus came up for sale. And, you know, I had been eyeballing this thing for since I ever came down to the club in 2005. And I didn't really think I had the money, but me and uh, my better half at the time, you know, she was thinking, well, we could get the dogs and the kids and everything in the boat because it's bigger and it's just more stout of a boat. And it's just, you look at a Pace Ship 26. And you look at like any standard 30 footer and they essentially have the same room downstairs in the cabin. Uh, you can sleep four comfortably, maybe even five and put all your stuff in it. And it just sails really well. It's just a really well-made balanced boat. 
so we were talking about it and she's like well why don't we buy it and uh you know because we had but just bought a house and i put up the money for the house so she's like you bought that the house i'll buy the boat i'm like all right you know so we ended up buying that boat of course a month later i lost my job <laughs> so that was kind of a hairy situation but then i ended up selling the uh the south coast on ebay here again back to louisiana to a couple of, uh, I call them vagabond hippies, and I tell this story in the first couple episodes of my podcast, they were drifting around New Orleans, you know, a couple years after Katrina, so this was like 2009, or 2008, 2009, and they were like squatting in old churches and in the back of uh, big rigs and stuff like that, and they had to get out of New Orleans, because he ended up, he was a blogger, you know, he was homeless, but he was a blogger. He had videotaped the cops, like, beating the hell out of some guy and then ended up posting it on his website. And the next thing you know, it goes viral. Next thing you know, they're like a hot commodity in, in Louisiana, New, New Orleans. <laughs> so they're like, we're looking for boats. And they were looking in New Orleans at all the sunken and damaged boats from Katrina. You know what I mean? And I posted mine. I bought it for 1200 bucks, but I'm like, this boat's worth three or 4000 So I posted it for 3600 bucks on ebay and the next thing you know i get this thing you know bid has been accepted i'm like what you know and here these people are like hey we're coming up on sunday and we're bringing all of our belongings can we have the boat ready <laughs> i'm like oh my god well look all at right. you that's awesome <laughs> so yeah they bought it and they showed up and they took it and they ended up uh, uh there's a whole you know, they, like I said, they were bloggers, they were a couple, and they were drifters, literally. I call them vagabond hippies. Uh, but they have a website called Pursuing Nothing. And I honestly don't know where they're at now, what they're doing, if they're still together or not. But I know this website still exists. And it kind of was, they each had a, a website. And through this whole time when they bought my boat, they took it down over the course of the next year and ended up in Key West with it. They sank it in, in like the, the west coast of Florida in like three feet of water. There's actually a YouTube video of, of the water rushing in at the bottom of this boat. <laughs> they ended up stuffing a, uh, a uh, grocery bag and some duct tape in, in the crack <laughs> and sailing it overnight to Key West. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of a crazy story. But, yeah. Uh, you know, they can, anybody that's really interested can go. They've got it all in pictures and, and video and, and words. It was kind of funny because, uh, you know, when they went to sell the boat, they had never done the paperwork. So I still owned the boat. I was waiting for, like, the Florida State Police to call me and say, hey, your boat's drifting around Key West. <laughs> <laughs> and it never happened. But uh, so anyway, in 2009, then I ended up with the Pace Ship 26, which is, which is what I have now. And, and uh, it's a great, phenomenal boat. Well, you should interview that couple for your podcast. They'd be awesome. Yeah, we talked about that, me and my buddy. And like I said, the first like three or four episodes I did, uh, I, I had the recorder set up at our yacht club during a party, and we ended up telling that story, me and my buddy Tom. My friend and I, Chris, were talking about the story. He's like, well, you should get them on. And I'm like, eh, you know, <laughs> I've been so critical of them in the past because they did some really dumb stuff. It was kind of like, hey, if you ever want to find out what not to do with the boat, then follow this couple, you know what okay. I mean? You know, running at night without lights, using their battery to charge their laptop instead of running lights at night, you know, that kind of stuff. Some, some crazy stuff that they did. And it's like, you know, if you're going to learn, don't do it that way. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I kind of talked about that with Matt Rutherford a little bit because 
he was similar when he started out. I don't know if you know Matt. He's the guy that did the Round the Americas trip back in 2011. Yeah, I'm aware. I've never met him. Never talked to him. Well, when he, you know, when he first started sailing, he just did it on a whim. He was not necessarily bumming around, but he wasn't, you know, like doing a whole lot of, uh, you know, he wasn't taking classes or doing any of that kind of stuff. He just decided he wanted to get, buy a boat and start sailing. And I kind of was like, what's the difference between what you did and what they did? And I think we came down to the fact that, that he took it seriously as a sailor and they were just kind of trying to get to the next destination. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, it's a great story if anybody, uh, she wrote a book about it. It's actually, it's on Amazon. I think you can do a search for it because the, the boat was named Gonzo's Flying Dog. Right. That's what I named it because uh, I was a big Hunter S. Thompson fan. Uh-huh. And there's a brewery in Frederick, Maryland called uh, Flying Dog. Right. And they had all these Hunter S. Thompson-based beers. So that's the name I came up with, which is kind of out, out in left field. But when she showed up and looked at the boat, she's like, oh my God, you're a Hunter S. Thompson fan. It's fate, you know. <laughs> so it's called, I think it's called Gonzo's Flying Dog or something. That's the name of the, the uh, book that she wrote. And it's basically all her blog posts, I guess, put in book form. But there's a picture on the front of, of that boat, you know, that it was my boat. So. Well, I think that's a good illustration of uh, how much authors make. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you should know. I'm, I'm, you know I'm Complete vagrancy uh, is, is the... Uh, <laughs> Is above the median. <laughs> the median, yeah. I've been writing uh, my sailing book for like six years and haven't quite made it past the first couple chapters. So. Right. So, One day yeah. I'll figure out all that and, and actually publish a book, I think. And then maybe you'll be <laughs> really poor. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hear you bought a house, so you're kind of going in the opposite direction of what you're supposed to when you're like a sailing enthusiast, you're supposed to like sell the house and live on the boat. But if yeah. I lived in Maryland or Pennsylvania, I think you live in Pennsylvania, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would want to have a house. But if I were in uh, the southwest United States, I think I'd just want to have a boat. Have a boat, yeah. Well, I do like the creature comforts of home. And right now I'm in my mid-40s and my better half her son just graduated high school, which is a different, better half than what I had when I bought the boat, by the way. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, her son's graduating high school right now, and he's going off to college. So I figure I got 15, 15, 20 years before I get close to retirement, and that's when I'll probably consider buying a liveaboard. If it's going to happen, it'll probably happen then. But I like you know, your part-time cruising around the world. That's that's my speed. I don't know that I could live on a boat 24/7 365. So, I don't know. We'll see how we'll see how it works out, but it's definitely uh if I can get to a point in my life where I can work part-time and uh go cruising the other part-time, <laughs> that would be uh that would be good for me. You know, right now I only get you know, I get one or two weeks of summer to go and and do my thing. And uh, so I've been all around the, the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, and, you know, someday I want to get out further and definitely get out and maybe charter down in the islands because uh, I've never done any of that. I've never actually seen blue water, which, you know, is one of those things, one of those bucket list things. Uh, so someday I would love to be down there in my own boat. And we actually had a guy, a younger guy in our boat club on a Catalina 27 uh, two years ago, I think it was. He left in the end of March, and he took his Catalina 27 and his girlfriend and 
off they went to the Bahamas for three months. And uh, they got there in, I think, late April. They spent all of May and the first week in June, and then they turned tail and, and headed back. So, I mean, it's possible. You could do it in three or four months and enjoy yourself and take your time doing it. So in a Catalina 27, which is, you know, essentially the same boat I have right now. I do at some point want to get a bigger, bigger, more kind of ocean friendly boat, but the boat I have now is a great bay boat. I spent 12 days uh, back in 2012, I think it was, uh, going down to Tangier Island, which is about three quarters of the length of the Chesapeake Bay, all solo on my boat. I had two other boats with me, uh, with couples on them that I spent most of my time with. We were actually going to separate because I had to get home to go back to work and they were going to be out for a full two weeks. So I peeled off and started heading home and we ended up catching up to each other anyway up in Annapolis. So I think I was by myself, by myself for, for two days, but, but we had some pretty healthy wind and health, uh, heavy weather uh, during that week. And I was able to, you know, navigate everything by myself up at 6 a.m. And, and not get into an anchorage till 6 p.m. and spend two days at the next anchorage or whatever. So that was my kind of trial by fire. You know, I can actually sail this boat wherever I want for the most part and, and be able to handle it myself. You talk about you've got another podcast and you mention your music. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of band are you in? What instrument do you play? Well... I loosely say I play guitar, <laughs> and just because I'm not all that great at it. I've never actually been in a functioning band myself. I managed bands back in high, uh, not high school, but after high school and in through college. So I was always like the manager, roadie type guy. But I did do some music with the drummer of that band, kind of in like a studio setting. We used to jam, jam around, that type of stuff. So I can't say I've actually played in uh, like in front of an audience, so to speak, okay. uh, myself. But I was always into bands, always really into music. My father uh, was in a rock band, like a new new wave rock band in the '80s up here in Lancaster. They were called the Sharks, and they made it to uh, MTV. They they won the Basement Tapes in like 1984, and they got a recording contract with Elektra, and they put out an EP and all that kind of stuff. Basically. Around the same time as a band called the Hooters, which was out of Philadelphia. Now, the Hooters did it the right way. You know, they didn't win a contest, and they had better management, and, you know, they kind of went national and, and had a couple hits. You know, the Sharks, uh, even though they were playing 28 nights a month, you know, they won a contest. They were somebody else's dirty laundry, and they didn't get the promotion that they deserved. And instead of spending the money to promote the band in L.A. and, and all these hot spots, they ended up, you know, spending the money to, to promote them here in, in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania and like the mid-Atlantic states. And they didn't need to do that because people were going to buy it anyway. So they didn't get the benefit of like good management, I guess. And so they didn't really go anywhere with it. They, they did the EP and, and they were popular and, and then it kind of fizzled out, you know. And in 86, my dad ended up getting out of it. Uh, but I grew up with that. You know, that's when I was 14, 15 years old. I was going to all ages shows and <clears throat> hanging out in the back room with the band and, and, you know, listening to all the music and everything. Uh, so it was kind of in my blood, I guess, as far as that was what I was going to at least it, uh, appreciate, you know, about music and things. So when I got out of high school, I came up and uh, was working with a guy who was in a, in a college band. He's like, oh, I play bass in a band. I'm like, I'll be your manager. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I did that for a couple of years, you know what I mean? And you're always looking for the record contract and all that kind of stuff. So when it came to doing podcasts, you know, I was like, well, I should do a sailing podcast, but I'm, I'm always digging like whatever band comes to town or, you know, whatever I run into. So I've got 10 episodes up right now of just different bands that I run across when, when I'm, when I'm out and about, which isn't as often as, you know, obviously when I was 25, but what, what's the name of that podcast <laughs> called the Hoot Nanny down the hall music <laughs> podcast. And, uh, both of my podcasts are, uh, at the same website called, uh, www.theescapepods.com. And so you can find all my sailing podcasts and my music stuff there too. Honestly, it's kind of a detriment because people are like, where can I find your, 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 your sailing podcast? <laughs> Cause it's called shooting the breeze sailing podcast. And I'm like, Oh, over at the escapepods.com. It's like two different things. You know what I mean? So I actually set up a, a website, just shooting the breeze sailing podcast.com that kind of directs you over to the, to the other one, you know? Oh yeah. You can get, you can get like the, the webs. It, you just get the website addressed and you can forward that. Right. Right, you, right. do the, you don't even have to set up a separate website. It's right. Just so I always thought that music at the beginning of your podcast it was uh, it was some of your music, but is that it, not right? No, it is. That's some of the stuff we did in the studio with with the the guy that was in the other band. He had a studio above the garage, and in, in the house he was renting, he was in another band at that point. But all the guys in the house were in in music and in band, so the the guy had built a recording studio above his garage. So we went in there one night, like literally went in at seven o'clock at night with a couple packs of cigarettes and a couple things of Turkey Hill iced tea and ended up at 7 a.m. laying on the floor listening to our, our new songs that we recorded. <laughs> and this was probably in the mid to late 90s. So we recorded, I think I have like three or four songs that we recorded during that kind of time space. But when it came time to set up the podcast, I'm like, you know, I'm all worried. I'm like, oh, I can't, can't use any copyrighted material. What am I going to use for, uh, you know, for my intro music? <laughs> yeah, like, I think it's actually I'm... fairly easy if you wanted to get intro music. I, I actually use a recording of my wife, but that's not my daughter. She doesn't play yeah. that well. But you can get that fairly inexpensively, like $5 a year for royalty-free oh, uh, yeah, yeah. tracks. And yeah, a huge selection. I mean, so you see a, a, a video like Delos, and they have all those wonderful oh, yeah, bands yeah. on there. Right. Uh, I don't think they're paying that much for it, and I don't think they're paying royalties either. I think they, they just pay like a flat fee. Pay like a licensing fee, yeah. Yeah, yeah when I started, I started the podcast, what, in 2013, I really – because I wanted to do this back in like 2009, and uh, just didn't really get – anywhere with it and then i lost my job and things kind of got topsy-turvy for a while and i kind of lost the whole you know the whole thing so in 2013 i was kind of like all right you know i'm back on my feet now i really want to do something creative here I oh can do... i interject just a minute uh, yeah i wanted to invite you to to send me a track for the slow boat sailing podcast and we will put that on the podcast if we can use it royalty free okay so if you got some hot music you want to <laughs> test out on the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast will give you the, the props. I'll have to dig through my archives a little bit, see what I can come up with. Okay. That invitation is out there. You don't have to All do right. It. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2013, I was kind of, you know, I was feeling the urge to get creative, you know, and uh, what am I going to do? And it's like, well, I should do a sailing podcast. So I started, you know, I didn't have any, 
let's say, real-life peers when it came to podcasting. So I was kind of figuring it out on my own, you know, watching some YouTube videos here and there. And, and I was like, wow, you know, I, you read all this legalese kind of stuff, and it's like, oh, you don't want to get involved in any kind of lawsuits, you know, or whatever. <clears throat> and I think at the time, This American Life had done an episode where they were talking about somebody owning the patents to uh, podcasting and how there was a threat to uh, – you know, your ability to do it for free and all this kind of crap. I'm like, well, I better get on this right now. You know, <laughs> I don't want to, don't want to upset any lawyers. So I ended up using my, uh, my music and, and that, that one particular song worked. So it doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not the jangly like Island music or whatever. And then I ended up coming across a friend of mine's band that plays Irish music. So, you know, almost every, uh, yeah, I just wanted to tell your listeners that if, if you're not an active sailor, you know, get on it, find a way to get on the water, uh, whether that's taking classes or showing up at the local yacht club or whatever. And even if it's just getting out on a, on a lake somewhere on a sunfish, like you kind of started out initially, you know, that that's enough to feed the fever <laughs> to, uh, get into the sailing, not necessarily, I don't call it a lifestyle, but it's definitely a recreation. You know what I mean? It's, it's a way to unwind in this uh, busy world is to, sit on the water and let the wind push you around a little bit. Uh, you don't have to be a world cruiser. You don't have to be anything special. Just get out on the water. So awesome. Sail on everybody. <laughs> and you know, thanks for your podcast. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks man. Thanks for, thanks for listening. I, I, you know, it's kind of, I always said this, uh, you know, what happens if you put something like this out in the world and nothing ever happens. <laughs> and it took a couple months before I got my first kind of, live feedback you know i was putting out episodes going wow is anybody listening i i know i'm getting some downloads but is anybody really being affected by this you know and then i got my first kind of positive feedback email like dude i love your podcast whatever i'm like all right great <laughs> now i'm set you know so yeah it's, it's cool to have uh cool to have an outlet and it's cool to to be able to affect even if it's just you know a couple hundred people that download and listen to the uh to the podcast that's great yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for having me. That was an interview with Jeff Wedig, the slow boat. Me, Stevie, and the little toy poodle, Daly, are here in Providencia, Colombia. We'll probably stay for a week or two, but, you know, I never know. The way the weather reports look like, they don't look super favorable. To go to Panama, which is only about 300 miles away, in the next week or so. Uh, if we left right today, maybe, except, you know, we've had a lot of squalls. Ever since we came into Providencia, we've seen squalls, and there's supposedly kind of bigger conditions coming later in the week. Uh, one of the things we were worried about was a tropical wave forecast which, when I checked it last night, looked like it was not going to hit us, but rather go north of us to Cuba, back where we were. But here in Providencia, we probably missed the tropical wave, which is really a front of a lot of squally weather, although we have squally weather today. And one of the things that you probably can hear in the background is the, the winds, which sometimes hit catabatic force. And so I not got that out of the interview of Tate McDaniel in, in episode 3 or the uh, the episode 14 interview with Nike Steiger of White Spot Pirates 
So I'm very happy that we have a, a great anchor with a lot of surface area of mantis and uh, that makes me feel a lot more comfortable when these uh, big gusts come through, which I'll have to clock at one point because they don't seem like your normal gust. But so far we're doing good. We're catching water. We, one of our problems, if you're following the Facebook, was we were having a lot of problems refilling our water, and we were able to purchase 26 gallons of water, bottled water, in Cayo Largo, but they don't have potable fresh water in Cayo Largo. It's all bottled, and you find even the Cubans that are they're brought in to service that resort community are using these, these bottled waters from other parts of Cuba, which is kind of weird not found a community that didn't have potable water yet but that was a that was a first for us but we we had enough water on our passage and we can get water here in providencia it's just kind of an issue of thinking of how how to transport it because it's probably going to involve a little overland and i'm used to getting water from the dinghy we also we have a water maker with very low capacity and it's currently not working right now and i'm trying to diagnose that among other things, but they're kind of bigger issues on my agenda, I think, at the moment. So, probably next week we'll be podcasting from Providencia, Colombia, but it's always possible that we may be in Panama next week or on passage, so hopefully we'll keep the Wednesday schedule next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to know why I'm sailing so late in the season to Panama, you should check out my book, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time, and you'll get the answer. It's always been less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks on Amazon.com or any of the other country sites on Amazon, and it dispels many of the myths that keep people from leaving the dock or the myths that make them end their cruises prematurely because of bad experiences. Another book you might want to read is uh, my first book, Slow Boat to the Bahamas, and you can see how our my family got into sailing and how we got to the exotic foreign islands of the Bahamas and back in 2015 with Lots of great local knowledge if you are planning a Bahamas cruise. I think it's a must-read. You can also tell your friends about the podcast. You can uh, support the podcast on Patreon. We're going to have we have tons of bonus episodes. I think I'll put um, some bonus chapters of Slow Boat to the Bahamas as the bonus episode this week for our Patreon supporters. The patrons of the podcast on Patreon have access to all the bonus episodes of interesting people like the crew of SV Delos, Wicked Salty, Nike Steiger, White Spot Pirates, among other things. And they also get free a free audiobook for every Patreon supporter. If we hit our target of $20 per episode on Patreon, I will give away the ebook version of slow boat to the bahamas which has been a number one bestseller on amazon.com in the kindle ebook sailing category 
and I've never given that book away before on Amazon.com uh, and all its other country sites, too. So uh, if you're somewhere else in the world, you get to participate in that, that free offer, but we're not going to do that until we hit our Patreon goal of $20. And right now we're about a third of the way to the goal. I want to thank Amber uh, for stepping up and becoming a supporter and she will be getting a free ebook as a a first mate level supporter who pledges two dollars per episode she'll get a free ebook of slow boat to the bahamas next week we will have don mcintyre of mcintyre sailing you've probably not heard of him but you've probably heard of something that he's organizing it's the 2006 2018 Golden Globe race. So the 50th anniversary of the famous Golden Globe race that brought you the likes of Sir Robin Knox Johnston and Bernard Moutissier and all kinds of other crazy adventures sailing nonstop around the world for the first time. They're going to redo it. And they're going to redo it old school without electronics in 2018. And there's a ton of people that have already signed up all in small boats to do it. And Don McIntyre, he's done some even crazier adventures than that. And he talks about his sailing adventures on the podcast as well as the 2018 Golden Globe race, which I can't wait to hear about. And I'm glad... I'm not going to participate in. <laughs> All right, so have some fun on the water and enjoy your week. Goodbye for now from Providencia, Colombia. This is Linus Wilson on the Slow Boat. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.